do it. What is up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. Thank you all for joining us. We always have a killer audience, amazing people in our community. Welcome to live stream number 113. We are growing up quickly. Um, very happy to be here. Before we get started, just a couple reminders, usual stuff. If you're not in our Slack channel, jump in there. If you haven't subscribed to YouTube, do the same thing. Do yourself the favor of subscribing to YouTube right now. Our channel, we've got tons of content. Um, if there's content that we don't have on there that you would like us to get, please let us know and we will definitely organize that. Um, we've got pretty much all of the next two months booked with content all the way, uh, obviously January, we're just about to finish. We've got February, we've got two live streams every week, including panels. Next week on Wednesday, where it's not published yet, but we will be having a panel about the business side of Kubernetes. How can open source be leveraged in a business sense um, to provide real solutions for companies that will be providing additional value to their customers? So we'll be focusing on that next week. Like I said, we got a panel. And on February 16th, we'll be having our first local, albeit virtual, uh, meetup that we'll be doing, DOK London. We'll be having a, a hands-on workshop between OnDat and HashiCorp, followed by a community-based panel with some wonderful DevRel folks. You can expect a lot of content in February. Like I said, we've got at least two live streams every week for the entire month of February and also March. We're now starting to add live streams to our calendar in April. And April gets us closer to May. And what's going to be happening in May? I think you should know already, but we will be having our third DOK Day in KubeCon co-located event on um, May 16th. All right, it's going to be a Monday. It's going to be a fun day Monday. You can check out our CFP. Right, I'm just going to drop that here in the YouTube chat. You can check out our CFP. We are looking for speakers. Very clear indications in the CFP. Just so we don't have any misunderstandings. We are not looking for vendor pitches. We are looking for end user experiences. Talking about running stateful workloads on Kubernetes, much of which we'll be talking about today with our speaker. Um, but definitely check that out. Um, we are planning on having two tracks so we can have even more content get all that good stuff out there about data on Kubernetes. So definitely check that out as well. That leads us to our speaker of the day and also a very special live stream today because we've got prizes, right? We've got something for everybody. And then we also will have a, a little bit of a quiz challenge at the end with a special question. So you can, uh, so you can win a copy of Rob, our speaker today, his live project. I'll get him to talk a little about that a little bit more. But I'm going to drop the link in here for um, for the live for today the discount code. Um, so you can if you go to the link that's in here, I'll drop this in here right now. You can get a 35% discount on all banning publications um, on all the products in all formats um, for banning 35% discount. Just go there. You got the link and you got the promo code as well. Uh, but then, like I said, additionally, we'll be dropping a quiz question both here in the YouTube chat. But you got to answer the question in our Slack channel, all right? So we'll be dropping the question in our Slack channel, and the person who has the correct answer will win a free copy of Rob's Life Project. I've said Rob's name several times, but we haven't brought him on yet. So Rob, uh, you're doing awesome stuff at Rumble. You're also a published author. Who are you? What are we going to be talking about today? Hey, everyone. So thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Rob. Uh, it's Rob Pacheco, uh, full name there. Um, I have been using Kubernetes since, I don't know, maybe 2015-ish, if I have to guess. I can't do math well, so I'm not going to say how many years that is. Um, but just some of that time frame, I started uh, mostly early on it. Um, and I've been doing this at a few different companies now. So I've been, you know, started initially at a, a, doing this at Black Duck Software, actually, to sort of get them a really great SaaS offering hosting on GKE. Uh, and then went through a few other companies. Um, and, you know, throughout that time, a, a lot of it, Right, has been really at the intersection of, you know, how does Kubernetes do things really well? Um, and how does that make life easier, harder for the application developer? Um, and yeah, actually, yeah, so I'm getting ahead of myself here, I suppose. That's okay, that's me, okay, uh, that's okay. Let me no, share my no screen spoilers. here. That's okay, yeah. yeah. Um, folks, as usual, drop your questions in the, in, in the chat on YouTube. We'll get to them accordingly. Uh, got a lot of stuff we're gonna be covering today. Pay close attention as always. Um, but yeah, Rob, take it away. If you want to share your screen, go for it. All right. Let's, let's share a screen here. Okay, that didn't work out for me. Let me share and then go to full screen for the... So uh, let me get there. Where's my Zoom window? This is ironic. I use Zoom all the time and I can't find a Zoom share. <laughs> okay, no worries. No worries. Not a problem. 
And as always, thanks to all the wonderful people who are joining us today from many different parts of the world. We had really, really good numbers in the sign up. So thank you for being engaged and paying attention to our meetup page. Um, you'll see all the other stuff that we got on there as well. So you can sign up for the, the meetups that we have that are upcoming. Um, but anyway, uh, good to have all of you. So yeah, whenever you're ready, Rob, uh, just go for okay. it and share that screen. I got some horribly bad news here. Uh, That's I did okay. get a new MacBook not too long ago, and I realized I never actually set up screen sharing for it. So I'm going to have to rejoin the meeting in just a moment. Not a problem. So, uh, I will keep everybody busy in the meantime. That's all, right, all good. Two seconds. I'll be right back. You do your thing. Um, so folks, as usual, uh, really, really uh, energized about all the things you have going on. I know I already mentioned we got KubeCon. We've got some upcoming live streams. We've also got a really interesting project that if you want to see, you know, get some hands-on um, experience, we're always talking about this why run data on Kubernetes. We also want to give people the capacity to be able to get, you know, get their hands dirty. So if you jump in our Slack and you see the, the channel called the How To DOK Project, you'll see some wonderful folks that are using different technologies. Remember, we're never trying to push one technology over another. So we want to embrace all the different ways that we can run data on Kubernetes. So we got some folks there that are putting the rap lyrics that um, we get from the, the raps that I write about um, our different speakers. We're putting those on a database and then putting them through um, Argo, uh, Argo to, get them, to get them on Kubernetes, all right? So, so we can have a real world example. We've also got uh, someone from Percona that's stepping up. It's got a killer uh, use of IMDB, the Internet Movie Database. Um, so also going to be incorporating that. We're always open to new ideas. So just remember, our community is a space. It can be a sandbox. We can play around with these technologies, get experience, meet really, really friendly people, and of course, have a good time doing so. So if you're, if you're in our Slack channel, definitely check out the How To DOK project. We're always open to, to new contributors. We've got first-time issues for folks that are just starting out. We have other things for, for uh, people that might have more experience um, that want to take more of a leadership role in, the, in a technical sense. So just, just feel free to check that out because, like I said, it's one of the uh, ongoing things that we have. How are we doing, Rob? I'm, I'm good now. Sorry about that, guys. It's all I... good. No worries. All right. So let me share a screen here yeah. like I tried to the first time. And sorry. So we're there. Perfect. Looks good. There. I mean, you did that, so let's not do that again. Um, and then let's go with some slides. I don't have a massive amount of slides, but I figured, I don't know, if you just want to start, it might be good. So, all right. So like I was saying before, um, you skip here. So I'm Rob. Um, I have live project. I am in the process of developing this live video, um, sort of related to live project, actually. Um, so that's in the works. Um, and I have been doing a lot of work over the past, I don't know, five to eight years or so, really working at the intersection of how does Kubernetes help the application stay stable um, and make it simple to deploy and manage? And what impact does that have on developers? Um, because it definitely does have impact from the perspectives of, you know, how to run it locally. Do you need a full setup? Do you, can you run certain services? Um, and then, you know, as this presentation is about today, what impact does that have on storage? Because it, in a lot of ways, it, it does have a, a surprising impact, um, especially you know where you have you know application developers who are there who aren't familiar with running in, in large clusters. Um, so let's start off with who this talk is for, right? So I'm really targeting two audiences here. Hopefully, some of you fall into that category. One is for application developers that are writing services that run on Kubernetes, and the other is for Kubernetes operators uh, that really need to have a hand in, in guiding the architecture of the application and services to make sure it's going to run well. Um, so that's what is going for. And today we're going to talk about you know, obvious question here, but just sort of to make sure everyone's you know on the same page with me here. What are stateful applications? Right? What am I talking about when I say that? Um, you know, and one really sort of obvious question here is why run stateful applications in Kubernetes? Or I guess you know, can you avoid it in a way? Um, and as you start talking about uh, you know, these stateful applications, you know, what does Kubernetes provide in terms of storage and persistent storage and any sort of mechanisms there to help us out? I mean, the opposite of that question is, all right, well, if you don't want to do this in Kubernetes, well, what are you left with? You know, if you have to run some of your services in Kubernetes, what do you do with the stateful parts? Uh, and then really, you know, hopefully a lot of the bulk of you know, this presentation is, all right, so you want to run a stateful workload in Kubernetes. How does that actually impact how you design and develop your applications? Uh, and so that's what we'll be doing today. And so the first question here, 
all right, what's stateful? Like everything is stateful, right? It's very hard to write something nowadays, really ever, that's not stateful, right? You have your Amazon shopping carts, you have your banking applications, you have your security scanners, you have everything. Every application contains some part of state. Uh, I suppose there might be a handful of things in the world that I haven't come across yet that don't, um, but most things are really stateful. Um, but then, so let's say you have your application and it's comprised of a bunch of services. Maybe it's two or three services, maybe it's a hundred services. So then what distinguishes, you know, what services are stateless and those that are stateful? And so, you know, some key indicators there, you know, does a service need to remember any data? Uh, and there can be varying degrees of that, right? It could be that, you know, your sharpen card data needs to persist forever. Or it could be that you have an application that, you know, finds value in caching some data temporarily. So it can be a little more volatile. Um, and the other aspect to that is how much does the state of that service prevent it or help it to move around a cluster, right? If you have, you know, a massive Kubernetes cluster, maybe you have a hundred nodes there, right? That's not super massive, but still it's not small. Um, you know, can you get to a point where you have, you know, various services that need to you know, go down for some reason and come back up somewhere else? And does that cause any disruption of its data? Um, you know, data can be stored, you know, simplest thing ever, the file system, uh, which a lot of applications can make use of. Uh, second thing, there's a database. A lot of data gets stored in databases. Um, and then nowadays it's horribly common to use various cloud-based services. And when choosing those, you do have a lot of pros and cons there. So we'll get more into that as we go through this. Um, and so just sort of, you know, very basic level here, you know, uh, how does Kubernetes persist data? Well, so you got a pod, right? And you have some containers um, and that may, not, may or may not provide any you know, facilities, but then you have these things called volumes. Um, and a volume is just sort of a, a primitive in Kubernetes that says, hey, I can store data for you in some way. It doesn't really say how, it's more of just an abstraction to say, I know how to do that. Um, but then when you get into the process of saying, well, I really do want to persist this data for a long term, right? You end up in the case of needing a persistent volume. Uh, that's not all kinds of volumes. There's you know, different levels of that, but you have a persistent volume whose intent is to store data forever until you tell it otherwise, or until for some reason it loses it because it was configured and not quite the way you've expected. Um, and, you know, for a pod computer to actually use one of those, it needs a claim on it. And it, it turns out <clears throat> that in most ways, this ends up being the problematic part of stateful workloads on Kubernetes. Um, we'll go into that a bit. So some of those are that volumes depend. So one step back there, right? So there are a multitude of ways to come up with a persistent volume. Um, depending on what you're doing it, right? Things like Minikube, right? A very you know, small little local Kubernetes cluster will store you know, data for volume right on the node. And that's not really problematic because Minikube, you have one node. It can stay there forever and you're good. Um, you don't have any issues trying to move things around. In other types of clusters, that's more problematic. So, you know, previously um, I ended up setting up a micro Kates um, cluster for one of my you know, staging systems. Um, and MicroCase is, it's, it's pretty kind of cool, right? It's a really simple way to install Kubernetes on Ubuntu. Other systems too, it really did start for, for Ubuntu though, and it, it runs there well. Um, and, you know, start off with one, you know, one node, that was easy. Um, you know, I didn't lose a volume there. You just, you know, had a host path um, and it was great. It worked amazingly. And then my cluster had to grow. Um, and so at that time, right, we were still using, it was called the host path, um, you know, the storage class on microcates. And as the different containers moved around the cluster, well, it lost its storage. Um, it couldn't find the right storage. It was on a different host. Um, and so that caused problems. Um, other problems, uh, which I hit in a number of cases you know, more early on, is that a lot of the volumes that exist, really a lot of the storage drivers that exist, don't support multiple writers, right? It runs in a mode called like read-write once. Now, there are some storage systems like Gluster and Ceph 
um, you know, a lot of more complicated systems that, that will support multiple writers. Um, and so a lot of these difficulties, a lot of the choices to be made, um, and this really comes down to when you're setting up the posture, when you're choosing what you build as part of this, <clears throat> right, comes into play in, you know, what other facilities do you want to add in? And what storage drivers do you want to support? And they all come with varying levels of difficulty. Um, and then another issue that you run into is, you know, as you replicate services, um, unless you're using, you know, a more specialized storage system, these services get their own volumes, and then you sort of have a partitioned or sharded data system. Um, and that can cause more problems if that's not anticipated. So, all right, let's say for some reason, like, all right, I just, we can't run this in Kubernetes. It just gets too crazy. Let, let's do something different. Well, you do have a variety of options there. And so I've used a lot of Amazon examples here, but the same are true of most cloud systems, Google, probably DigitalOcean, I've used that too much, but a lot of Google I've used in the past, right? But you have, you know, Amazon RDS, you have Cloud SQL, um, you have Amazon S3 or Google Cloud Store. Um, in a lot of cases, it's not incredibly uncommon. Say I wanna use a database and I don't wanna use a pre-hosted system because that either gets complicated or expensive or any combination of those. So I'm gonna go and set up just, you know, a straight up separate VM with Postgres running on it, and I'll connect to that. Um, and then you have other types of posted Redis and other sorts of things. So there are a variety of options if it ends up being the case that you really just don't want to store state in Kubernetes, um, they exist. At the same time, you know, there's the question of, well, why do you want to store it in Kubernetes, right? What is, what is the advantage to running a stateful workload in Kubernetes? Um, also, I, I, I thought to, I, sh I should mention this sooner. Um, I'm, I'm told my audio was good, but if you ever can't hear me or if I ever fade out, there are any have problems, just uh, uh, let us know and, and we'll fix that up. Um, Sound great. No worries. Sounds good. Okay. If yep. it happens, let me know. Um, so back to this, right? So the reason, and this is more speaking personally, right? I, I can't say this for, for anyone here, but my reasons right, for running stateful workloads is that it simplifies a couple of things, right? It entirely simplifies the deployment process. Being able to have a Kubernetes resource to represent your storage and to change it over time and to know it's going to be there in a very declarative way, to me was a very big advantage in that space. Um, in a lot of ways, right, there was also a price advantage to it, right? You're gonna pay a lot of money for something like RDS. Now, for some reason, in some cases you have to. Um, one of the other reasons right, outside of complexity that you may not want to run um, a stateful work on Kubernetes um, is performance, right? A lot of the ways that Kubernetes stores data uses storage drivers that are network-based. Now, I've never really had a problem doing such a thing, but it could be that you just have incredibly high performance needs um, and you can't find a suitable network driver or a suitable solution <clears throat> to get to that performance and keeping it in Kubernetes. So that's probably one of the bigger reasons not to, if it just, if you can't get a setup such that you have good enough performance. Um, but I mean, it hasn't been a problem. And really for me, having the entire setup in declarative Kubernetes, you know, using Customize was one of the main advantages. Now over time, I, I do suspect there's been various pieces of work on this that there will be sort of Kubernetes proxy resources for various cloud systems. Um, there were some attempts at that, they sort of got toned down a bit. There are other alternatives to it. I, I think we'll get there and that would be a definite benefit. Um, but the other reason to not do it, right? To keep this on Kubernetes is it is infinitely more reproducible in different environments, locally in different types of, you know, maybe across clouds or across a, say, a, GKE versus microcates, we have different staging systems that aren't all in the same cloud to have this all done in Kubernetes to have that level of seamlessness that you can run it anywhere. So really for, for me um, and for those that, that I've worked with, that ends up being one of the bigger benefits to doing this. You have everything essentially in one spot. Um, so those alternatives and those are reasons too or not to do it. Um, all right, so now let's actually see something, right? Um, I'm not really too big on slides. Uh, so I'm gonna have some seamlessly, actually 
do we have any questions yet? Uh, no, so far so good. Super well explained, very concrete. And I loved, I absolutely loved, you know, we've done this live stream number 113. The way that you just explained your reasons for writing, writing staple workloads, you can expect that we are going to take that as a quote and we're going to put that video out separately. <laughs> so anyway, so All far right. so good. Yeah. Sounds good then. All right. Then let's see, let me exit out of these slides here, central algorithm slides. Um, and we're gonna, I have a little application here. Um, so we're gonna, not the right window, all right, here. So it's a little tiny Go thing. Really the, um, the implementation isn't super important. Um, really all this does, and it's incredibly super simple intentionally. Um, there's really no point in making it complicated here. That's not the, the, the point of this. But basically, it has a little API that allows you to write data from curl. Because I figured that was the simplest possible thing we could do. How do you get data into a container and then look at it? Um, and so that's all this does. And now to help elaborate on all of this, right? So we have our Docker file. I've already built this locally. Um, again, super simple. Go builder here. Uh, build it up. Ends up in container, and you call it a day. So I have three different YAML files here. Um, the first one I want to look at though is here. So remember I said that really volumes cause most of your issues in persistent workloads. Entirely true. Um, so this has a deployment, right? All it's really going to do is it's going to run that container. So I've called this container doc sample tagged as latest um, and it's gonna run this command. And that's it. That's what it's going to do. It'll listen on port 8080, and it'll wait for those write requests. Now, in this setup, so actually, I should mention one thing before really going into this, right? There are various levels of, of storage in Kubernetes, right? The container, to some extent, has its own storage, um, which will be lost as soon as the container leaves. Um, the pod can also have its own storage. In, most typical way that gets done is by doing this empty volume. Um, and this allows containers within that pod to reference it. Um, now, just sort of as a side note here, I've used this a lot to allow two containers in the same pod to communicate via files. Um, there's a downside to that, right? In having multiple containers in the same pod, it's not something I do commonly, and it's usually a, a workaround for certain things. Um, but when you do that, right, it really gets you in a position where you need to scale the entire pod if you need more than a copy of it, and that can be problematic. Um, but this does work for that. It does let you share storage really easily between two containers in the same pod. Um, but so let's say we do this, right? Let's say that, you know, uh, the other advantage here that I didn't mention, but sort of I, I, I kind of imply there, though, is that I've done this, and I've put these containers in the same pod because unlike most of the volume types, this does allow two containers to write to the same location. Um, and that's really what I was going after there with those containers communicating through that file system is that both containers can read and write from the same location. And so that's an advantage to this, um, but it has downsides. So let's take a look at this. So I'm going to pop up my terminal window here. Um, and I am in this directory of these three files. And I'm going to apply that first one here. Boy, okay. Uh, the same thing we just looked at. And now, since this is a demo, it's going to go horribly wrong. I knew that's not horribly wrong. I don't know. I literally just ran this two seconds before I got on this call. Um, not making that up. All right, give me just two seconds here. All good. Yep. Not not the first time that you know the demo gods have decided to be a little bit tricky and providing the opportunity to, to run it again and see what's going on. It's all good. Get from this one. Names. Did I run the right thing? That literally makes no sense. Let's try to get some dog out. No, I didn't set that. Double check something. Am I really in the right spot here? Hmm. 
here in my service there. This isn't that saved, but that's fine. Certainly interesting. I'm doing that. Let me just look over here. So this, this definition is any different. Let's see, that's identical. All right. Try it again. Okay, that worked. Didn't look any different when I did it the second time, but we're up. So, but it worked. It's all good. Like I said, I, I, I figured something would just go horribly wrong here because I just, it has to happen. So let's take a look at what we have here. So we got that, that's running. Um, and the only volume we have here is that empty volume. So because I'm running in my, uh, this is all running in, uh, in Minikey, by the way, though. But since I'm doing that, I haven't set up anything like a metal E, uh, metal V or anything. I'm just gonna port forward there quick. Um, and then, like I said, we have this little curl command and it's gonna write something. So we're gonna do that. And now we're gonna take a look at our container. So let's see what we have there again. And we're going to exec into that. Just take a look at the storage. Um, I feel this is a little simpler and a little more explicit than doing something like a elaborate API to get data back. Um, we'll sort of get down into it. So I skipped over this part, I think, but I set this as the storage location we mounted that to. Um, and we have a file there. The contents of this is just the host name. Um, if you wouldn't get too complicated there, just eh, put something there. So that's there. We have one file. And if we make another call, we'll have a second file. Now, these are great. If you have short-term data you don't care about, like if you want to actually keep cache data, this might be a good place for it. Um, if you want long-term data, this doesn't work out so great, uh, really, for, for two reasons, right? One is, let's say we restart this guy. And so that'll restart. Just give that a second to come back up here. And then we'll get back to that and we'll take a look at what the volume has there. Take this guy out again. back to the storage location and we got nothing right so that volume is squarely attached to the pod that pod restarts get killed goes away storage is gone and so that's sort of why i open this with well it's great for temporary things um you know if any data specific to the pod you want to cache you want to store that's a good place for it if two containers want to communicate as long as you know that is specific to the pod and can die when that pod dies, great place for it. You don't want to store a database volume here. That would not end well. So that's the simplest way to do it, right? You get a lot of advantage to having that pod-based volume, but it does not survive. So let's just delete this namespace again for a second and go to our next one. So what is our next one? And so the next one I have here, right? is same thing, deployment, nothing really different about it, um, except we attach a persistent volume to it. And now this isn't gonna go quite the way that we expect this to go, um, but that's okay, I'm gonna do it anyway. 
Um, now you'll notice the access mode here, right? Is rewrite once. And this implies, and this is the case for most storage drivers, that only one pod can be writing two at a time. Um, so we're gonna take a look at this. And in general, it'll improve our situation. Um, and then I'm gonna say one thing about why it's not doing what I really wanted to do, but that'll be fine. So let's run this. Um, we're gonna report for this since that whole thing went down. And we're gonna send some more data there. It'll be two files this time, just to mix it up a bit. Um, we'll get our pods. And let's go see that we have some data there. So we're here, go to our storage, and we've got two files. We can see what's in those. And yes, we have two from the same pod. All right, great. So now I'm gonna hop out of here for one moment and I'm gonna do the same thing we did last time. Right, I'm gonna restart this pod. And we're gonna, we're gonna not write any more data. So we're not calling curl anymore. Compare our pods again. We can see that this just came back up. New pod, and we're gonna go there. So let's head in there and see what's in our storage. And now that we're using an actual system volume, we still have data there. Okay, so now the part that doesn't do what I wanted to do. So um, newer versions of Minikube, and it seems MicroKates as well. Um, and let me just show you this. Uh, I'm gonna scale this out to have two replicates. Now, in older versions of Minikube and MicroKates, um, and in most other situations, <clears throat> this wouldn't work as you'd expect it to. Um, so here we really do have two pods up. Uh, we scaled it to two, and we can run a million of these things too. Well, let me mess with that. No problems doing it there. Um, I'm just gonna make a few more times just to get to all of them. And let's just pick one to go into here. The same one should still be there. So we're gonna come in here. Get a bunch of files. And we can even see here right, that we have different workers that came in and actually wrote data there. And just take a slight, um, Diversion here from what my original plan was. But we can look at the PVCs we have, right? Those are the persistent volume claims. Uh, and we only have one of them, right? And we see the access mode is still rewrite once, right? You should still only have one writer into this, and it's there. And if we describe this, You see that's actually, it's bound to two different pods there, like two entirely separate pods, not same thing, just different pods. And in most cases outside of what Minikube and MicroKates are doing, this would not be allowed. And so our part of the problem that you know, we're not seeing here, that we really should be seeing, <clears throat> is that you wouldn't really be able to scale out a deployment. Um, the other thing that we're, not seeing here that I was going to try. It's well, it seem the same effect is that trying to restart a deployment bound to a PVC, depending on the storage drivers you're using, it could be problematic because it wants to disconnect first. Otherwise, it would end up in the same situation where you have a PVC trying to be bound by two different pods at the same time, and that causes problems. Um, so I was a little bit sad to see that I could not show you that. I 
didn't think too far ahead, just had a bit like a GKE cluster to just show some of this. Uh, next time I may very well do that because the newer version of this are, you know, they're sort of taking advantage of the fact that, that they know it's a local file system. So they know these things are okay and that it'll succeed versus other types of real CSI drivers that would have no part of this. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to once again, delete the namespace and show you what really should be happening here um, in the proper way to handle state um, in your own application. And then I'll talk about a few other things after that, but let's get through this first quick. We'll delete sample. Let's just take a second. A little ironic, it's only like one thing there, but it takes a minute. Um, and then to show you where we're gonna go next here, we're gonna do the stateful set one. Now this looks almost identical, right? And I, I guess just, I guess one other word about this, <clears throat> and really the differences between stateful sets and deployments um, for those who are unfamiliar, right? So a deployment is really the most common thing in Kubernetes. Um, right, its job is to really deploy and control one or more pods. Um, it'll make sure the pods stay up. It'll make sure it can replicate them. It can scale up and down. It can restart them. Um, and it's the most common thing, especially that uh, that I've ever used in Kubernetes. Um, now, the stateful set is very similar, but it you know, its job is also to manage pods. But it has more of an emphasis on state. Um, and so really, it's really the intent is that it handles the association between a pod and its persistent volumes and claims differently. Um, it's also meant specifically for stateful workloads so that it also intends to have, um, and I'll show you this in a second too, um, reliable host names. So now that that's finished deleting, uh, let's just run this one. I do want to point out before we do this, <clears throat> um, right? Just keep in mind that uh, the format of these names and how they changed every time we either scaled out or we restarted. Um, so we'll apply this. That will be up in just a second. I'm going to go back and report forward this. Um, and really from a store, from a pure storage and precision volume perspective, it'll be no different, right? It'll still keep the storage there until it really, until you delete the namespace or until you delete the persistent volume. Um, so those are there. Let's write some data quick, some data. Uh, and then let's take a look at what we have here though. So if we look at our pods now, The first thing we notice, which is actually incredibly convenient for actually executing into containers, um, but we have a different name here, right? It's called just worker zero, that's it. Um, but let's go in there and take a look for a second, just to see that everything else is in fact the same. So you got some data there, same path. Um, and now let's do this for a second. I wanna restart this. So this is gonna look similar to the deployment command, um, but it'll have a different type there. So if you do roll out, restart again, we'll do a stateful set instead of deploy um, and restart the worker. So it's like, yep, I'll do that. Great, no big deal. A um, little different though. And this is some of the behavior that the deployment doesn't do. Catch this in time. No, let's do it one more time just to show that a little differently. So if we look at that, right? Unlike the deployment, which did a rolling deployment, one stayed up while the new one came up. Here, it entirely terminates that pod first. And so one of the disadvantages with using stateful sets um, is that you don't get full rolling deployments. So you can't, you know, if you only have one and you restart it, it's gonna entirely take one down. You don't have one still up. Um, and that's one of the reasons it handles the persistent volumes better right? because it doesn't try to keep the same PVC bound 
to more than one instance, even though it worked perfectly fine in, in Minikube. Um, and so now that that's back up, we'll just go back in just to, you know, Name hasn't changed, right? Still worker zero. And then we'll just do all right. So early storage, right? We still have data there, all worker zero. Um, and so those are really, you know, some of the differences between the stable set and the deployment. The stable set really is for stable workloads. And you know, that's not necessarily the biggest deal when you're just storing data. But if you consider things like Cassandra or Redis that really do want to choose a leader that want to, you know, that essentially need a reliable host name, um, that becomes really important for those types of workloads. And so that's sort of, you know, the handling of this from the Kubernetes side, right? From the application side, <clears throat> what does this mean, right? How does this impact what you decide? And so let me actually do one more thing here, just because I can. Um, I'll go over one more thing. So, so let's replicate this, right? Add two of them here. <laughs> but so if we look at this right now that we've just scaled this out we now have two pvcs right so again that's handling it correctly uh, the whole charade with the deployment sharing the same thing that's that's not real life um it's just not it, it'd be great but it's not um but so for every time you scale out a stateful set and you make a new replica of it, you do end up with a different PVC for it, with a different volume, essentially. Um, and so now if we do this, right, let's just run this. Um, and so now let's just do this like a million times or so. And let's go back into here and let's go to, uh, storage and let's just see we have a worker zero so right all the requests i made none got to this volume right this volume is for worker zero and if we flip back here we look at worker one made it there. Um, now I'm making this one. Had to made it into this though. You would see all worker one here. And so you have a replicated service, right, with literal different storage locations. All right. So now that's what I was saying about implications for the application. So one of them is that <clears throat> It is without having something with either two containers in the same pod or something that handles read write many, like Gluster, Ceph, maybe a handful of others that tend to add a fair bit of complexity. It's nearly impossible to have two containers in two different pods writing to the same literal storage location, which means that if you really do need to store something on a file system, uh, maybe you store images. Maybe you have some shopping cart data there. You really need to handle a sharded case where you are going to have to say, all right, every, you know, every container that's running in that has, you know, I need you to all give me your data. We need a complete view of it. And that becomes horribly problematic, both from an application side, but also from sort of a plumbing side to have that ability in Kubernetes. Um, and the other part, and I mentioned this earlier on, right? The other part is performance. Um, you know, most cloud providers have really good SSDs. They have really good throughput. I haven't hit the issue, um, but it, it is possible. Um, but really, when I've come across it, right, all the questions that I've had about you know, 
why can't we just use a file system that's shared? That becomes one of the biggest, I don't see misunderstandings, but uh, points of uh, interest, we'll say, um, about why as a developer, you really do need to be aware that Kubernetes is different if you're running there versus what you're doing locally. Um, Right, both in terms of being able to share the files, but also having to collect back all the files that are in different volumes. Um, and so let's see, I think that is about where I wanted to end today. Um, now we have a little bit of time left, um, and I probably don't have this. Um, is there anything about this that either I haven't covered or that you've run across um, and you have questions on that we should go over at all? First of all, amazing presentation. Um, and I don't say this to every single speaker we have, just so you know. Uh, I just want to know is that in your learning journey, and also you've seen the development of Kubernetes since 2015, so you know, uh, almost seven years at this point. What has been challenging for you? And in, 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 in based on that, you know, for other folks that are in our community, what are the challenges that they should anticipate? We do have resources such as your book. But I'm just saying, as a practitioner, speaking to other practitioners, what are the things that, you know, when you got started, being like, you know, would have been really helpful if I had known this, or I really wish I had taken a look at that. What kind of advice would you give in that sense? So there are a couple of things, right? One, one is storage, right? I had no idea how storage got handled in Kubernetes or really in any other clustered system. It turns out it's hard. Um, over the years, I've come to believe that storage is the hardest part of any distributed system because uh, nothing handles it. Um, it. It's always on you to figure out the best ways to do it. Um, and that just comes from sort of, you know, as you saw today, as, as I saw today, you know, the other part of this is things change extraordinarily quickly. Uh, something I didn't cover here, just it was sort of, you know, not, it sounds relevant, but not relevant is this thing called container attached storage, right? It's sort of a new way to explore how can you really handle state in Kubernetes, but from yeah. the storage perspective, not from, you know, it wouldn't change your mind as an application developer. It wouldn't change your mind necessarily on the fact that you can put certain workloads in Kubernetes, mm -hmm. but it's how you build the services that need to handle state, right? That's what gets tossed there. Um, things change quickly um, from the behavior of Minikube to MicroKates, the different types of CSI drivers you have. It's a very quick system to keep up with. Um, and so really, if you're gonna be an application developer, really, or a Kubernetes admin, um, but I'm sort of talking more from the developer perspective and you know your services are going to be deployed to a cluster. It's easy to ignore that fact, but it's really not gonna be in your best interests. Right? You're gonna wanna follow along with it. You're gonna wanna know the capabilities of it, um, or it's gonna end up coming back and you're gonna have an issue in the end. Um, and so that's part of it. And the other is just the, you know, this is more too early on, like, there were a few primitives, there, there were fewer things that occurred, um, but just the, the amount of resources that Kubernetes has, and I don't mean like the books, I mean like actual like their descriptions of things like a deployment or a stateful set or ingress, like those types of resources. It's a hard word to use in, in this context, um, but there's just so many of them um, that it, it really does take time to get your head around. So the, the other piece of advice here, right, is if let's say your company is not using Kubernetes, don't suggest it. That sounds counterintuitive until you do get a handle on it though. I think it's a, it's my favorite thing to do. Like I, I really do love running workload, uh, workloads in Kubernetes. Don't try to go down that path until you've had some experience with it. Um, you'll miss something. Uh, that, so, uh, that's, uh, that's really sound advice um, because you know there is so much it's, it's no exaggeration that there's a lot of hype behind Kubernetes. And so the people might feel the pressure just to run into it. Um, but like you said, do yourself a favor of getting that hands-on experience before you make that jump and perhaps run into problems. And I think that's, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, we talk a lot about stakeholders and we talk a lot about uh, roles and responsibilities, what's in your toolkit. And, and that um, for a developer that previously they may have thought, oh, the scope of my work is, is limited to, to this area. Well, in the Kubernetes environment, particularly in the data on Kubernetes environment, you say, well, actually now you do need to start considering things like storage. I think that's a good insight um, for people to aware, be aware of the landscape that they can that they can plan on encountering. Any other advice? Uh, I think that's all I got so far. I, no, that's good. Don't worry. That's plenty. For, 
yeah. for this. Uh, so if you do have questions, I think you mentioned um, I'm in the I'm in Slack. Feel free to ping me, and we can have more discussions about this or other yeah. areas that I've missed or that you're curious about. Yeah, we do. Have, we we got a question on YouTube. Um, are you able to share the code that you used? Oh yeah. Sorry, I meant to, to share that. I'll put it in the Slack, um, but it's actually publicly on GitHub. Okay. Uh, just I talked about it, and I will share the slides too. Um, okay, perfect. Ahead of perfect. time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'll toss a link in Slack. Um, okay. It's on my public GitHub. You can totally get to it now. Very, very good. That's awesome. Um, Rob, this is a, an excellent live stream, one that I wish that we had had some months ago because it very practically laid things out as you did in the slides and then taking it away with the demo. Um, we do have a tradition in our community before we, before we finish up. And just a reminder, folks, we, we, still, got a, we still got a live project uh, to give away. So you can expect to see a question in our Slack about something that we touched on in the live stream. So if you want to win that, jump in our Slack once this is over. Keep your eyes open. We'll be dropping the question in there today so you can get that. Um, just to reiterate as well, further up in the, in the YouTube chat, you've got, um, you've got that link to go to Manning. You can get a 35% discount on all of their products um, in all formats. Um, so definitely take advantage of that uh, while it's still available. But uh, like I said, before we, before we finish up, while we've been talking, you know, as a tradition in our community, we have our wonderful artist, um, Angel, who's been drawing an artistic depiction of some of the things that, that Rob covered. Um, so you can see that here of, of some of the things that were mentioned in the live stream in a more creative format. So we, so we can take that away with us as well too. Rob, this has been super good. What's the best way? Obviously, you know, we're gonna be keeping the conversation going on Slack. If people wanna follow you, is best to do it Twitter, LinkedIn, GitHub, what's the best way? Ah, um, all right, so I, I looked at one, I look really villainous there, man. <laughs> evil. Not that I'm saying that's not true. Um, I'm not making that claim at, at all, but just an observation there. Um, uh, LinkedIn is good. Get, GitHub is good. Um, I am a, a complete, complete slacker on Twitter. I should probably get better at that. Um, I guess I can just use this as an, uh, as an opportunity to, to be reminded of that. Um, it's all good, but everybody but yeah, has their preferences. I, I'm it's no an entire deal. social media slacker. True yeah. story. That's, that's a, I would say that's actually a, a really good quality to have um, in 2022 when we're being bombarded. Yeah, folks, if you haven't seen the documentary, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, you should definitely check it out uh, to make you have a better idea about how to, how to use social media the right way and don't let social media use you. Um, so anyway, but I, I think that's, you know, we got in contact, I believe, through LinkedIn. So, so anyway, the LinkedIn is a good way to get in touch with Rob. Also in our Slack, we'll be continuing the conversation there. I would love to have you as a speaker in KubeCon, uh, Rob. So keep May sixteenth open on your on your agenda, okay. and uh, and we'll we'll see we'll get to CFPD because we this is great stuff that we had here today, and I'd like to take it further and particularly as well too. It's re it's always refreshing to have someone like yourself working at a great company like Rumble who's talking about it you know from that perspective, um, really you know practitioner hands on. So very very nice to have you with us today. Folks, as usual, we're always continuing the conversation in Slack. We got a live stream tomorrow for, for newer folks um, about how to use Helm properly. Uh, you can never get too much information about, about these building blocks. So if you want to join us for that tomorrow, we'll be here at the regular time. Rob, thank you very much. Uh, we will talk to you soon. All right.